Today, we've got a popular guest back on the show, Ben, who's got very unique strategies, such as he made himself an Amazon carrier so that he can deliver with his own truck his FBA replenishment orders 15 minutes away from him for free. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Sellers have lost thousands of dollars by not knowing that they were hijacked, perhaps, on their Amazon listing, or maybe somebody changed their main image, or Amazon changed their shipping dimensions, so they had to pay extra money every order. Helium 10 can actually send you a text message or email if any of these things or other critical events happen to your Amazon account. For more information, go to h10.me forward slash alerts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I'm your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. We've got a serious seller back for, I believe, the second time here on this show. Ben, how's it going, man? Good. How about yourself? I'm doing just delightful. So I, I take it you're in uh, North Carolina, which is why I switched hats here at the the last second, uh, rocking this Charlotte right, uh, hat here. That. Is Charlotte where you're at or what part of North Carolina are you? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Charlotte. Okay. Uh, been out there uh, long? Yeah, I came here in 2002 and never left. Okay. All right. So if you guys want to get more of his backstory, guys, uh, write this down. Episode 379. Uh, we went a little bit more into his uh, background there. Um, so we're not going to go too much, you know, more into, you know, his, uh, superhero origin story. We want to catch up and see what cool stuff he's been, he's been working on. That was a great episode, by the way. Uh, in, in there, he talked about how he had a, uh, $3 million in retail arbitrage, uh, say sales and, and he has his cult following now in the Amazon world on the speaker circuit. A lot of cool stuff we talk about. Uh, in that episode, including, you know, how to hire for your Amazon businesses and whatnot. But let's just catch up. You know, now we're in 2024. You know, I think the last time you're on the show was like end of 2022 uh, around there. So yeah. it's, it's been, you know, full year. Uh, how was your 2023? It was good. Our big priority was expanding, I mean, obviously expanding product lines and then just figuring out the best ways to manage what we have so that we can grow and scale as efficiently as possible. Okay, cool. H- how many employees are you are, are you guys up to now? Uh, so we have the warehouse and then we have a international team. So collectively we're between 60 and 70. Okay, excellent. Now, um, what was, you know, just, just from a gross sales overall, uh, all channels, if you were to compare 2023 with 2022, how did you guys do? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're up maybe 10%, okay. so we didn't really push too hard this year. Now, something that I think a lot of sellers might have said comparing 2023 to 2022 is profit margins were down due to increased cost, whether that be inflation or or mm-hmm. cost of uh, goods, um, Amazon fees, PPC. How was your profit margin? Yeah, it de- definitely went down a little bit. Uh not as bad as I guess a lot of people have that I've talked to have run into, but one of the big things that helps us, and I think we talked about this before, is just that because we are in Charlotte and there's a CLT, the CL22 warehouse is in Charlotte, we're able to deliver a lot of our own inventory. 
So we're a last mile delivery driver or delivery provider for Amazon. So we don't have to pay to ship inbound to Amazon. We pay somebody $15 an hour to drive a truck with 12 pallets and they're 20 minutes from our warehouse. So as far as the, the inbound shipping costs and those expenses, those don't really hurt us too badly. Yeah, that, and that's, we are still that's definitely us. So, so, so that whole, so you ship everything then from your manufacturing to your warehouse. Correct. And then, so that, that quote unquote landed cost, that ends up being your, your cost to Amazon as well, you know, outside of that. Essentially, you know. yeah. Okay. How did you even know that that was possible to do? So several years ago, we were about to stock out of, so as you know, we sell a lot of fourth quarter products and kind of joke toy products. Uh, and we we're about to stock out of one that we sold between 800 and 1,000 units a day of, which is a fairly substantial uh, issue. So we actually loaded up a cargo van and drove the cargo van to Amazon, talked our, wealth, our way through the front gates uh, to deliver it, and they took it. And so we did that once, then we did it again, and we got through again. The third time, they're like, no, you, you can't do this. And so like, okay, but somehow we have to be able to do this. So we looked into Carrier Central and figured out how we could become a last mile provider, which is incredibly easy. It takes about 15 minutes to fill out a form, and then you have to show that you can back in and out of a parking spot. Incredibly easy. Uh, but so in that January, we bought a truck, and... The rest is history from there. But it was it, it came about because we were about to stock out and, just, and panicked. And we're like, well, what's the worst that can happen? So so then theoretically, you can also do this service for other people. Then like you would right. be the carrier and then other people can just store their product here at warehouse and then you, you would deliver. But but for now, you just pretty much do it for yourself. Right. So what what, what is there like, was there any kind of, minimums like hey you have to have a dock high you know yeah. truck you have to it has to be this size it has to be order you know like it has to be at least x number of pallets or what what kind of requirements was there uh so basically it had to be palletized and it required a dock high truck and i forget there was there's a code you have to send them that you get for just having a truck so it doesn't really matter you're, you're gonna have it anyway but Hey. Doc high and uh, palletized products. And what we did was we looked up what the largest truck that we could buy without having to have a CDL was, which in North Carolina mm -hmm. is a 26-foot box truck. And so that holds 12 pallets. Okay. And did you have to have like a company that's a registered trucking company or something? Uh Nope. Actually, uh, I had a friend who was trying to do this for some of their products because they were just the same issue where they're about to stock out and Amazon wasn't checking them in fast enough. And one of the, the benefits of what we do is, and this is, I don't know how long this will stay that way. So I'm probably going to jinx myself by saying it, <laughs> but our stuff gets checked in faster than anybody else's. Okay. So like this year, we had stuff that we delivered in December that was checked in three days late. Wow. Now, now, how uh, do you pick, how are you able to pick that exact DC to get the stuff into when you're creating your transfer shipments? There are a number of softwares that you can use that let you pick where and direct where you want it to go to. 
So that's but not something nice that you can do on your own just in Seller Central. It, well, yes and no. Uh, it's not something that you can directly do, but typically if you're sending case packs in, they're going to try to send that to the largest distributor center nearest you or distribution center nearest to you. At least that's what we've seen. Uh, even before, like when we weren't using a software for it, we're sending about 65 to 70% of our case packs all went to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So they're still trying to keep stuff uh, as far as the case packs. They, they're just sending them to the nearest large distribution center. At least that's how it worked out for us. Now, have you looked into or do you know yet how this this change to their shipping program is going to affect you, if any at all, You know, with this whole thing where yeah. people now have to pay if they're only sending it to one location. I mean, even if that's the case, it's still got to be better. You know, like I, I, I'm assuming that I, you'd still yeah. choose that. Um, yeah. It, it'll cost us more uh, now, but it's still better to deliver it ourselves. The other, like the bigger issue, honestly, was the minimum stock levels because we're able to deliver so quickly and because we know that Amazon is checking in so quickly, ah. we've been able to run very, very, very lean. And that's going to get, that's, so, they're going to punish you now uh, for doing right. Uh, so that. now we're going oh. to have to put set we So the last, over the last month, we've been having to send way more inventory than we ever had before in because in expectation, we have this, to meet yeah. the minimum stock requirements, not get charged the ad fees there. So that's honestly the bigger issue for us. Have you ever taken a look at in, in helium 10, you know, at our inventory heat maps to kind of like see what, what they do with your inventory? Like once it get, you know, like day by day and then like how, how long it takes them to do, to distribute. Cause sure you, you can get it checked in, but if everything just sits there in, in Charlotte for a week and then all of a sudden somebody's in Portland and their buy box says, yeah, two, two weeks delivery day, you know, that, then that, that might be, you know, conversion issue for, for certain geographic areas. Are, are they getting yeah. your inventory out to the country pretty, pretty fast? Uh, usually within two weeks, but it is, it is something where there's definitely some, some gaps where we have been okay. not fulfilling like the, the West coast, for example, is uh, efficiently as we probably could be. Now, what about the fact that you're, you're, I mean, I'm assuming you manufacture your stuff in, in China, India, or where are you manufacturing? Uh, so we have manufacturing in China, Mexico, India, Canada, the U S okay. uh, and I want to say Vietnam as well. So what about the stuff coming from Asia? The fact that you're not, uh, that you're sending it to you in the middle not completely in the middle, but you know, it's, it's, is it coming to the East coast port first or is it coming to California and then going to, uh, we'll say, we send a lot of it through Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. Okay. And so it, even if it wasn't going to your warehouse, is that, is that where you're routing it? Like in the old days, you, you if you were going directly to Amazon, it would still go to the East coast first. We've always sent directly to our warehouse just for, having the flexibility for a lot of our products, uh, there are varying pack sizes mm-hmm. and we'll, uh, repackage as needed in the warehouse to make sure that we're, ah, fit, okay. that we're filling the, the ones that we need to. So we've always sent it to ourselves first, uh, for that reason. Then also just from a flexibility standpoint, as far as, uh, inventory management, where if 
you send it from China, you're basically going to have to send in 90 to 120 days to make sure that you're covered or just have constant orders going. Uh, if we send it to our warehouse first, we can keep the Amazon fees lower for storage by uh, storing it for what amounts to about, I think it, we last time we calculated it, it was, we're paying like six fifty a pallet or $7 a pallet, something like that, to store it at our warehouse. Okay. So the amount of money that we're saving uh, off of the Amazon fees by storing it ourselves and then sending in smaller shipments okay. versus sending in the bulk ones that a lot of people do. All right. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I was worried a little bit, at least like, wait, wait a minute, you know, like some of your savings might be gone if you're still having to bring things into the port in like California and then you got to ship it all the way, you know, right, stick yeah. it on trains or, or trucks to, to, to go all the way to North Carolina. But, but, but the fact that it's coming into uh, already on the East coast, that, that doesn't make it too bad. Okay. So that's, that's and, pretty cool. Uh, honestly, that's one of the things that we've, we're looking into for 2024 is, seeing if we want to find a 3PL out on the West Coast so we mm-hmm. can send some inventory there for the the heat map issues that you were bringing yeah. up where we can send stuff to the West Coast DCs from there and then keep doing everything else from Charlotte so that we can make sure that we're covering the country and also if there's a way to bring stuff in and have it on the West Coast already, then it just makes things easier. Now, what other... Um you know, we've been talking about Amazon USA. What what other Amazon marketplaces uh, are you selling on worldwide? And what what about other domestic uh, here in the USA marketplaces like Walmart, TikTok, yeah. etc.? Honestly, we haven't pushed that hard on the uh, non-domestic Amazon sites. Okay. Just because our uh, logic has kind of been, well, the U.S. is the largest market. If we're able to successfully sell something here, we're going to be more successful than selling something in another market. So we would rather come up with a new product to sell in the U S versus taking the time and energy to push externally. But that is something that that's started to change over the last year. Uh, We are in Canada, we're in the UK uh, and we're going to expand through Europe over the next year uh, as far as uh, Amazon. And then uh, we have our own Shopify sites for all of our brands. And then uh, we do a good bit through Walmart as well. Okay. All right. Uh, what What's your strategy like, you know, going into 2024 now that margins are decreasing? Uh, I mean, are, are you raising, are you planning to raise prices? Have you raised prices? Trying to cut costs in unique ways, pull back on advertising. How does somebody, you know, because it's, it's not like, you know, this is this is just something that you're facing, like we talked about earlier. A lot right. of people are, are facing it and some some worse. Why do you think, uh, other than the shipping thing, you haven't been hit as hard as others? And and what's the plan to, you know, it's not like costs are going to go down anytime soon. So how are you going <laughs> right. to, how are you going to, you know, stay above water? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things is before uh, we started the podcast, you and I were discussing how you were just in China. Mm-hmm. And like going and meeting with your manufacturers and actually having those conversations, you can get better rates, you can get better terms, you can get a lot of benefits. You can also see what they can and can't do and find a lot of products that you can make with the same manufacturer. And the more things you buy from one manufacturer, the better rates you're going to get on each of those orders. So going directly to your manufacturers and talking to them is a way that you can massively improve your uh your cost and also the terms that you have. Like with some of our, uh, some of our manufacturers, we don't pay until 90 days after the product has come to our warehouse. Oh, wow. How long have you so, been with, with, with those manufacturers to, to be able to uh, like ask for years. something like that? That's, seven that's, years. That's wow. been a while. Yeah. 
And and uh, have you visited them there in where where they're yeah, at a, and a gone times. out to eat and stuff yeah. like that? Okay, yeah, yeah. Met met their family, took their kids' presents. Like we're we're very close with them, but it's something that you can like you. That's something that you can build. And again, even if it's somebody that you aren't close with, the more that you can buy, more you buy from them, the more likely they are to give you better rates, better terms, etc. Yeah. Makes uh, sense. So that, that's one thing. As far as the advertising goes, one of the things we started really pushing over the last probably six months is just kind of figuring out what our, where our product deserves to be ranked based off of price, quality, everything else compared to our competition on specific keywords and adjusting our advertising based off of that. So if we look and we say, like, okay, we're really the fourth best product on this keyword – we're not going to push heavily for our with our advertising to try and get to the number one spot because eventually we're just going to drop back down to the number four or we're going to have to keep spending a ton of money. So we've adjusted our ad spend to match where we feel like we should be on that keyword. Uh, and if we drop below that, then we'll raise it. But if we're there, we'll leave it basically where it is. And that's actually significantly improved our profitability because we're not spending as much to rank up on something that we won't stick because if you're not going to stick at the top, then why are you trying to get there? It's not going to, mm-hmm. you're just wasting money. So are you like, you know, obviously, like you said, you know, price is, is an easy, easy one to know if you mm-hmm. quote unquote deserve to be there. You're looking at like conversion rates by keyword and search query performance or things like that. Uh, or what are some other factors other than just strictly price? Yeah. So we'll buy every single product and bring it to our warehouse and do comparison tests. So we'll look and see like, okay, this one, like, let's say we're selling a paper plate. Uh, Logan, see, like, okay, if we put sauce on this for an hour, it leaks through. Ours doesn't. So for the sauce, we rank better than them, or the size that it takes, or the amount of weight that can ho- it can hold as far as food. Things like that, where you're just testing to see the quality of your product versus theirs. So it's not just the quality of the listing and conversion. It's also the quality mm-hmm. of what you're actually offering to the customer. That's interesting. I've never heard of of somebody doing that where it's like at the keyword level, how do we stack up so that we deserve, you know, to, to you know, like like yeah. so a, a product could do really well like in that situation for like a keyword like heavy duty plates for exactly. you know, big meals or some or, or or for you know, um mm-hmm. watery foods or something like that. Uh whereas maybe another one would be, you know, a uh, floral looking plates where it's more aesthetic and and, and right. you could rank uh, or you you could rate i should say differently for each keyword exactly and it also helps you figure out which way you want to direct your uh the copy and photos and everything that you're putting out for the listing okay as you see like because i mean everybody is doing competitor research before to figure out okay how can i say that i'm better than this one sure but if you don't keep doing that throughout it, you're going to get passed up. Uh, but also, if you look at it on a keyword level like we're doing, you're able to save a lot of money on advertising. Yeah. Okay. I, I like by that. By not bidding on things you shouldn't. Now, speaking of listing optimization, you know, that was one thing that we focused on the last episode. I remember, you know, you mm-hmm. talked about you've got some listings that are 100% puns and and different, uh, yeah. you know, and that helps with your conversion and, and, and stickiness yeah. of customers. Uh, what are, are you like? Are you guys using... AI, you know, that's something that's just kind of blown up probably since the last time yeah. we, we talked. Uh, what, what other uh, listing optimization strategies are you doing in the last year? Yeah, I mean, like you said, AI is 
massive. I mean, the ability to identify a customer avatar immediately to put the reviews in and pull whatever, extract whatever data you need to from it uh, with like quickly, efficiently, and to have essentially a professional copywriter write your listings for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I enjoy doing, which has led to some good results and some terrible results, uh, is to pick like a few famous copywriters or famous advertisers that I find interesting uh, and then have them have a conversation about the product. So if you say like these four people discuss paper plates and why someone would buy them and then they ha- they go through and the AI has talks like those people and has a conversation and you can see people who are way smarter than me uh, discussing how they would sell it, why they would sell or what they think people would be directly interested in and how they would position it. So I've I've liked that. I like doing that. Uh, Also for coming up with brand names. If you have like the top branders in the world, you can just say, have these people discuss what the, what my brand should be if I'm selling X product. So kind of expanding outside of just saying, write me a uh, bullet point with the, including these keywords with 250 characters or less and yada, yada, yada. It's trying to like think outside the box a bit more to be more unique because at this point, anybody can use AI. It's trying to figure out ways yeah. to use it uh, in ways that other people aren't yet. Uh, and especially trying to get, uh, add to what the AI is doing, add emotional language to it because AI is okay at emotional, but not great. So if you can put something in that appeals directly to the customer while still using the uh, the pitches from the AI, we've had really good success with that. Now, what, if anything, is would you say is the biggest difference when you're taking one product from Amazon and making a listing on Walmart? Like, ha- have you seen something that definitely works and something that you always have to change because it's completely different on Walmart? Or is the general structure always pretty much the same and you're just doing the little things that, you know, the little requirements that Walmart has in order to differentiate it. Yeah. I mean, we are trying to obviously match what Walmart says, but uh, it just seems like on Walmart, you want to be way more direct. Uh, Like keyword stuffing doesn't work as well there. It seems like there a lot, at least for us, it hasn't Uh, made for other people, but uh, just being more readable and fluent uh, with the way that we, create the listings has led to better results versus uh, just trying to stuff as many keywords into it as we possibly can. Okay. What else you you, you doing differently? Something we haven't talked about in this episode or the, or the last one. Um, I mean, you know, to, to manufacturing in USA and, and, and keeping respectable profit margins, having 70 employees, this is not something that, you know, like any Amazon seller can achieve. There's got to be some some more other unique things that that have helped you reach this uh, this level. What do you think those are? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. Always. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the. I mean, you know that I have uh, three main partners that I've worked with uh, from the start, and I think one of the things that we've done really well is division of labor and creating the the SOPs and the backbone for everything that we need in order to run the business so that we don't have to be involved in the day-to-day as much as 
uh, we used to and had to at the start. So we are able to look into things like Amazon fee changes, look into things like, okay, how can we get to China and improve our costs and fees there? Like having the flexibility by building a powerful team to, and like our team is, I mean, I'd say our VAs are probably smarter than me. Uh, so they're, they're better at the job than I am at this point. So like being able to get to that point where you're able to have the, the flexibility to scale mentally going forward has been massive. And we actually like from the start, we, the way that we kind of divided it was we had, uh, one of my partners was focused on incoming products. The other was focused on running the warehouse my role was mostly building the products and the marketing side. And then we had one person whose role was essentially figure out how we're going forward. Like his role, his job has always been to push things forward, to figure out what we need to do. And then having him on, he is very, very good at systems. So he'll be able to come in and look at what we've done and see the systems we built and say, no, you all are idiots. Change these three things. It's going to be much better. So, like being willing to constantly, like always constantly be improving on what you're doing uh, is one aspect of it, but also always looking forward. So figuring out like, how do we dodge whatever the next big thing is? And I mean, if you look at the, and I know, you know, Steve Simonson, but like mm-hmm. whenever he's talking, he's always talking about, okay, what's happening in China now? And how is that going to impact things a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? So even just looking ahead at stuff like that, where, you're able to make decisions that mean that you're not going to be shortchanging yourself in the long run for a, a bigger gain now. Okay. I think something that successful sellers also have to know how to do is when to pull the plug on, on products mm-hmm. uh, and everybody. And this is one of those things that there's not one size fits all. Everybody has their own criteria. Uh, how do you guys decide what to, what to retire as far as the product goes, is it strictly just, you know, a profit margin? Is there a certain sales velocity that you need to, to, to maintain? Uh, is it, you know, if the reviews dip below a certain, you know, point, yeah. or, uh, what, what's your decision-making factors on that? Honestly, one of the, uh, the biggest things that we care about is how annoying it is to deal with. Uh-huh. So just, just being perfectly honest, because we do have, we do have a, a very wide catalog at this point, uh, counting our counting variations. We have over a thousand SKUs. Wow. So when we're looking at things and figuring out what we want to do, if the if we're sending it to the warehouse and the warehouse has to touch it four times, even if it's making more money, we may want to cut that faster than something that the warehouse doesn't have to touch. So we look into not just the profitability of the product, but also the profitability of the product compared to the labor, how labor intensive it is. And also if the warehouse people don't like dealing with it, then and we're not making much money on it, then why keep dealing? Why keep doing it? Uh, so that that is one of the big things. But beyond that, it is uh, almost exclusively profitability. Like I don't really care if I'm selling something 100, 100 units a day if I'm making $12 a day on it. Yeah. Okay. I would rather sell one thing for $12 and 100 things. On the flip side, what is are the triggers where it's like, hey, we need to uh, launch – 
this product or we need to launch this you know new thing uh, uh, for for this brand or hey we need to launch a new variation are you guys just do you have a department that's just constantly looking at new opportunities per brand or are you looking for certain signals in a in a market how does that work yeah so i mean we we do look at every single review that we get and so if we see a lot of reviews coming in saying i wish this were larger i wish this were a different color like the obvious things like that uh, are things that we that play into it, or if we're getting negative feedback saying there are all these issues, then solving the issues is a, is a very easy way to improve on that. But the the other aspects of it are just if we look and we see a competitor come in and they're doing something different and it looks better, it's doing better, it's taking sales away from us, then we figure out okay, how do we beat that? What can we do differently? So a lot of it is competitor and customer driven as opposed to uh keyword or sales velocity driven okay you know you you talked about you know you've uh used helium 10 for for years and your your team has what what is the number one thing you're using helium 10 now for and if you were to join our product team for a few days let's say you were to you were to be in charge of our product team what would be on your wish list on like how you would add something to Helium 10 that we don't have right now that would make your lives as on the Amazon side uh, yeah. easier. The conversion rate trends for, uh, across that key uh, for that keyword uh, for each individual product. So if you're looking at it and you can see like, okay, this one is selling this number, this amount of day, uh, but being able to go in and figure out if their conversion rate is moving up and down month mm. over month as opposed to just sales mm. moving up and down month over month. Uh, because I think that the conversion yep. rate is just getting more and more important. Uh, and at the keyword level, not just the overall conversion rate, but but correct. even at the keyword level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm de- That's definitely the top of my list as well. You know, once uh, Amazon you know, make search query performance available in the API, then, then that's like, yeah, to me, that's like a must, uh, uh, a must have, uh, for sure. Okay. All right. So now I knew you, uh, you know, you were like a nationally ranked tennis player back in the day. You still, still get on the, uh, the courts every now and then, uh, what were your main hobbies, uh, last year of, you know, like, Hey, you need to get away from the Amazon world and just, you know, enjoy yourself. Uh, what yeah. were you doing? Uh, so the, the U S national whitewater training center is in Charlotte. So I learned how to whitewater kayak. Wow. So I got, I got a membership there. It's a closed course that they control the, the flow of the water. So it could be anywhere from a class one to a class five, depending on the day that you're out there with the rapids are going to be. So that was my, uh, kind of fun. It was a, uh, 10 minute drive from our warehouse. So go do some kayaking. And then they have uh, like on Thursdays, they had concerts and stuff. So you can go hang out and be around people. Now, is that just a local hobby for you? But, or, or now that, you know, I know you travel sometimes too, or have, you know, when you travel, have you ever gone real uh, like uh, whitewater uh, kayaking? I, I have once, uh, and it's t- it's way more terrifying. <laughs> That's uh, what I was about to say. That that would seem a little bit scary <laughs> if you're just doing it in a controlled environment is one thing, yeah. but then to uh, be out there. Okay. 
Cool. Yeah, when it's based off of a controlled water flow, if you flip over, it's like, okay, I can handle this. Yeah. If it's not controlled, you're like, where are the rocks? I don't know what's happening. I'm about to die. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's not quite as good. Um, but what, one of the things I've tried to do uh, while traveling is try, I try and go fishing every, uh, everywhere I go. What were some cool places uh, you were able to travel to in 2023? Maybe somewhere uh, new where you hadn't been. Yeah, so uh, I went to Fiji for the first time. Wow. Did you stay in an overwater, uh, like an overwater bungalow no. kind of thing? No. Sad, sad, sadly, no. That was uh, I, I didn't. I was not on an island that was conducive to that. So I'll have to. They'll have to be added to my next trip. That's on my bucket list, Fiji. I've never never been there before. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a beautiful place. Sweet, sweet. Uh, and then, uh, I went to so I went to Estonia. Uh, to the ambition event there, uh, which I'd never, uh, never been to really Eastern Europe before. So that was, that was a lot of fun to get to go and, uh, meet a lot of the sellers there and get to explore, uh, an area and a culture that I'd never gotten to experience. So I, I always enjoy getting to do stuff like that. Love it. Uh, try to think of one more. Uh, I w- I started in Greece in college and I got to go back there, uh, this year. Nice. nice. So getting to go back and see, what I saw in college uh, and appreciated a bit more as an adult from a historical perspective, yeah. as opposed to the 21 year old kid who's just <laughs> like, they have alcohol here. I need all of it. Yes. Your, your priorities are a little bit different at that age. Right. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think. Okay. And so getting to go on an, an adult trip there was, uh, was, was a nice change. All right. I like it. Now, you know, before we get into your, your final strategy of the day, um, if, if people wanted to reach you or find you on the interwebs, how, how can they find you out there? Uh, Facebook is probably the easiest. Uh, it's just Benjamin Weber. And I think I don't have a picture of myself there. I think it's a picture of, uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright falling waters house. Okay. Uh, so if you, if you see a Benjamin Weber with a house, that's probably me. All right. All right. Now we're, we're at the uh, stage where we ask for your 30 or 60 second tip. You already gave us a, a doozy, um, you know, with that looking at the, the, the how you rank at the keyword level as far as how you deserve to rank. Uh, so do you have another one for us? I mean, obviously everybody's talking about AI now, but using that within your product development to expand on what you're doing. So one of the things that uh, we used to do with our entire staff was every day as a kind of learning mental stra- mental training exercise, say, what are 10 things that you would pay $50 to never have to deal with again? And then we looked to see if we can make products out of those. And so we had this massive list of thousands of these. And now we do that with AI. So we're going into AI and saying, what are problems? Like, let's say you're in the kitchen category. You would say, what are 10, 20, however many things you want to say, things that people would pay $30 or 10, what are 10 problems that people would pay $30 to solve uh, in the kitchen so they don't have to deal with that every time they're doing it? And then see what results come back from that and look at the products that come from it. So it's a way to get essentially consumer research via questions with AI versus having to go in and look things up. So just using the, the AI as a creativity exercise uh, can be incredibly huge for coming up with new product ideas. And that's where uh, the last like seven products that we've made have come from us just 
type in questions like that into AI. And there are things that no one is selling on the market right now. Awesome. Awesome. I like it. All right. Well, Ben, thank, thank you so much for joining us uh, uh, again. You've definitely given us some insightful tips and you've got some very unique things that nobody else is doing, you know, like being your own <laughs> Amazon last mile carrier and everything. is That's, that's great. And so i uh, love to see what you do in 2024 and then we'll bring you back in 2025 and, and see how things are going. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.